Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews as you remain standing for the reading of God's Word. I remember a child asking me one time when I was a children's pastor, why do you like for people to stand when you read God's Word? And I said, well, you guys are going to be sitting for the next two hours, so you might as well get your standing in while you can. He didn't think that was funny either. I promise I won't keep you that long. Look with me here at Hebrews chapter number 3. And we come now to a portion of Hebrews that reveals several truths. And to be honest, I will not do justice to the material that is in this chapter. It is so packed. But I'm going to do the best that I can in my own meager attempt uh, to try to present God Uh, as it is before you in these pages. Let's read for context's sake, starting in verse number 1, and then we'll read through verse number 11 this morning. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more than Moses, more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses, verily, was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son, over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation of the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years." Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a lot in this portion of Scripture that we've just read through. uh, But I I do want to kind of draw your attention, if I can, to two things specifically. Now, I gave direction, as you may recall, I gave direction when looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that whenever a warning is given, we must devote ourselves to attentively hearing this warning, but also mindfully submitting to it. Whenever we find a warning in Scripture, we must take extra care that we heed that warning. Now the question that I'd like to begin thing, things uh, this morning, I'd like to kind of kick things off, is, is simply this. How do I know if my heart has become hardened? Now we hear about this idea of a hardened heart many times. We hear uh, as uh, we go through the Old Testament, we hear about people's heart uh, who have become hard. Uh, we hear about people who hardened their hearts. And, and, and it's an interesting thing if we really kind of look into it. And how, how do I know? Because 
let's, let's just be honest. Many times we give ourselves a pass to these type of topics when we become a child of God. We, uh, we make a, a statement of faith. We, we profess our belief in Christ. And then we seem to think that, well, I guess my heart is no longer hard and everything has been taken care of. I'm sorry, but this is not the case. You know, I, I believe truly with all my heart, no pun intended, uh, I believe that it is once we truly become a child of God that we need to really focus in on our hearts not being hardened. I think it's more of an issue once we are saved than prior to being saved. Because what happens if we're not careful, we seem to think that we got our get out of hell free card from God by you know, repeating this prayer after someone else. And we seem to think everything is, is done and taken care of and there's no longer anything that I need to do. I'm sorry, but that's not true. Christ did not come to save you so that you can be a bump on a log somewhere just waiting for death to approach so that you can be in heaven. He saved you to change you and make you more what you were supposed to be to begin with. When we look at the creation of man, and, and you, you, this is not new, I have made this mention uh, many times, we were created in the image of God, but because of our sinful nature, thank you, Grandpa Adam uh, and Grandma Eve, because of that, we do not fulfill this God-given mandate, this God-given purpose for our lives. No longer are we um, uh, living out the image of God, rather we are living out the image of ourself. What we want to do, what I want to be in, in the eyes, of, what do I want people to see with me? What do I want them to think about me? How is it that I want to be known? How is it that I want to, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to do this because somebody might think little of me. No, 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 no. Understand something. That goes out the window once you become a child of God. It is no longer a concern of you or myself of what people think of us. It is what they think of him when they see us that we need to be concerned with. So often we get into our minds, well, you know, I don't want somebody to think that I'm not doing the right thing or I'm not doing this. Well, I want people to know that I'm this way or that I'm that way. Please understand me as I make this abundantly clear. You are not the end simply a means he is the end and we want all attention taken to him the title that i kind of gave I, i'm not good with titles and so I, it takes me sometimes the entire week to just put three words up as a title but was simply this whose house are you because that's exactly what we need to be focused in on today there are two major themes to this portion of Scripture that I'd like to look at today. One being that of Jesus' superiority to Moses. And then the second being the danger of disobedience. Or a better way of saying disobedience, faithlessness. Let's take a look at just a few things here. Look with me at verse number one to remember where we were last week. 
says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want to re-preach last week. I just want to kind of give us a reminder of that apostle and high priest. The, uh, the term apostle simply meaning sent one. You see, God sent his son to us. So this messenger from God came to us. Now, he is not only the apostle, he is also the high priest. And so when we see the high priest, the high priest's job was then to take man and present them before God. And so Christ fulfills both of these. He is our apostle. He brings the message of God down to us. And he is also our high priest. He, he presents us before God. So he represents both directions. Now, what do we do as far as applying this to our life? You, my friend, and I have been called by the living God to follow him. Don't miss that. If you've ever had the opportunity to play follow the leader, if you haven't played follow the leader for a few years, then you have missed out. It's probably one of the most fun games you'll ever have, especially when you're the leader and you've got a bunch of kids behind you and every time you put your finger in your nose, they have to do the same. But it gets even more fun when you put your finger in somebody else's nose and then watch them go. <laughs> but now... Here's the deal. As far as following the leader, what he does, I do. You are to also take the message of God to others. We take the needs of others in intercessory prayer before God. Can I ask you, when the last time, don't speak audibly, but just think for a minute. When was the last time someone shared the gospel with you? Think for a minute. When was the last time you were walking down the street and someone shared Christ with you? How many times has that happened to you in just the past year maybe now let's uh, put a little bit of pressure on the sore spot when's the last time you did it to them when's the who, who's the last person that you shared the gospel with who's the last person that you presented Christ who's the last person you opened your Bible with and simply said let me introduce you to something let me show you a truth let me show you something that I believe wholeheartedly let me show you some things when's the last time who's the last person that you were an apostle now before we get anybody well wait a minute your doctrine's off no it's not I'm not talking capital A one of the apostles one of the disciples I'm talking about when's the last time you were a messenger on behalf of God to someone else. Taking the good news of someone, of Christ, to someone. Well, pastor, I don't really do that. That's not in my skill set. That's not in my gifts. I have the gift of hospitality, so I'm happy to make dinner for someone, but I don't have the gift of sharing the gospel. Really. Did not know that it was only certain people who were supposed to follow Christ's example. 
It's time for the church to wake up. It's time for those of us who call ourselves born-again believers, children of the Most High God, to wake up and understand what it means to be a child of God. It means, let's just break it down into, into very basic terms, it means if I have chosen to follow Christ, guess what? I'm going to follow Christ. And what did he do? He went and he shared the gospel with everybody. What else did he do? He served. What else did he do? He made sure to forgive. I mean, my goodness, we get so upset about things that we're told to forgive. Well, you've got to forgive your friend for that. You've got to forgive your brother for that. You've got to forgive your family member for that. You've got to forgive. Well, that, that's, that's fine for everything else, but I don't need to on this one. You've got to understand my circumstances over here. Hey, Jesus had nails being punched into his body. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. I don't know... If you have anything, or I have anything, that can trump that. So why do we excuse ourselves? Here we have verse number 2. As we looked last week, talking about considering our apostle and high priest of our profession. Notice that we profess him as our Lord and Savior if I'm going to profess him as my Lord and Savior, I need to follow his example. Or I need to button it up. Notice what it says in verse number 2, though. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now I want you to notice something really quickly, the superiority of Christ uh, to Moses. Moses was revered by many of the Jews. This was, uh, this was someone that they looked to. They, uh, they looked back at, at Moses as, as something that was, uh, someone that was in their past as wonderful. Many people look back into our, our, our country's past, or our, uh, maybe you're, uh, from a, uh, your family's from a, a, a different country, and, and, and you look back to the past of that country or something along those lines. But the, the Jewish people, they revered Moses In their eyes, he was the chief leader of their history. You had Abraham, who was the father of them all, but then when Moses came along, he was something different. Moses was, uh, was venerated by them almost to an idolatrous level. They almost, almost, not all of them, but some of them, they had him so high in the pecking order that it was, it, it was almost like, okay, you've got God and you got Moses. And they looked at him this way. And so the Jewish people that were being written to, the Hebrew believers, would have understood what was being said. Moses, however, was only supposed to be a type or a foreshadowing of what was to come. He was never supposed to take the place of God. He was only supposed to show Christ, the coming Messiah. And the similarities between uh, Moses and, uh, and Jesus are evident. Moses was the Old Testament leader. He was the deliverer. He was the lawgiver. He was the prophet. He was the advocate with God. Think about that for just a moment. When you go from the Old Testament down to the New Testament, Jesus. Jesus was the leader, the deliverer. The, the prophet, the advocate, he was, 
the lawgiver even. What did he say? A new commandment I give you. Right? And so the similarities with Jesus and Moses, they're, they're striking. As Moses was this Old Testament leader, Jesus was the New Testament Jordan notes of the similarities. He says uh, three things. Number one, each introduced a new dispensation, law and grace. Each was divinely commissioned and supported in their work by the Father. And number three, each was recognized as faithful. Numbers 12, uh, 7 uh, talks about uh, Moses being faithful in the house of God. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Both of them were counted as faithful by God. Cherishing Moses, understand this, was not wrong. But they needed to be reminded of his rightful place. Christ is better. No matter what we look at, Jesus is always better. I want you to notice something here with this though. Because we can very easily fall into this same trap. It is never wrong to look back at what brought you to God. Never wrong to do that. As long as it remains that. As long as it does not become an idol. It's never wrong to look back. I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've looked back at my heritage and what brought me along the path. And I think back to being in this circumstance or this situation or being with this group of people or being in that group of people in this church or that church and all the different things through my life that led me to the relationship that I have with God. It's never wrong to look back at that, but it's when we look back at that and that becomes our focus as opposed to what they led me to becoming the focus. That's where the problem lies. And so understand, it's never wrong to go back, to look back at what God used to bring you closer to Him. Just don't let it become an idol. I want you to notice something else with this before we go into this next portion. I want you to note verse number 2. Who was faithful to Him that appointed Him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Drop down to verse number 5, please. And Moses, verily, or of a truth, was faithful in all his house as a servant. Can you let that sink in for just a minute? Moses was faithful. It does not say that Moses was perfect. But it does say he was faithful. Do you know how many times we look at our imperfections as an excuse for being unfaithful? Well, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect, Pastor, so let's just move on. But you can be faithful. You can be faithful. 
And so the question is not can you be perfect, but can you be faithful? In other words, as I make my way through this life and, and, and living this Christian existence, and I have trusted Christ as my personal Savior, I have decided I am going to follow Jesus, no turning back. Can I remain faithful? And even on the days that I'm very tempted to turn back, can I remain faithful to Him? And even on the days that I do fail because of my imperfections, and I do go back to the worldly things, and then can I... Can I be faithful enough to forsake that again and pursue Him. Faithfulness is what God asks for. He doesn't ask you to be perfectly sinless for the rest of your life. He asks you to be faithful to Him. He asks you to just trust Him. This is what it means to be faithful. Don't look back and go, well, praise the Lord, Moses was faithful, but he wasn't perfect either, preacher. I didn't ask anybody to be perfect. We just simply need to be faithful. And it's time for us as born-again believers to quit playing church, to quit playing Christian, to quit acting like we think we've got it all under control while the whole time we're saying no to the things that God wants us to do. It's time for us to quit looking at, well, look at all the stuff that I have done. Look at how much I have accomplished. I once was this, but now I'm this. I'll never be here, though. But you know what? God's okay with me not being here. He's got me right here. That's far enough. Eh, wrong. Stop. Think about this for a minute. I'm married to Sarah, used to be saner, now late. Would it be acceptable for me to only be faithful to her between the hours of 8 and 5? What about I'm only faithful to her from that I get up in the morning and I go downstairs and I read my Bible. And this is my, my typical time with the Lord. I, 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 and so I got my daily time with him. Then I've got some time through the week where I spend time in studies. And then I come in on Wednesday night. And then I come in on Sunday mornings and I'm faithful to him. And then we have our Sunday night school of Tyrannus. There's my shameless commercial. Come on out for Sunday night school of Tyrannus. A lot of fun. You're going to have a blast. Next. Uh, you know, let's say that I, I take that same type of schedule with my wife. I'm faithful to my wife... Let's say between the hours of 8 in the morning and 5 in the afternoon. And then right before dinner, for about 15 minutes, I'm faithful to her. While I'm looking at the grub, waiting for everybody else to sit down. And then I give my 30-second you know, dissertation of thank you, Lord, for this food. Let's hurry up and eat. And then right before bedtime, I'm faithful to my wife. But the rest of the time, I'm not. Ain't going to be my wife for very long, is she? Okay, well, how about we do this? 24 hours a day, six days a week, but I get one day off a week. Is that okay? Then why do we think it's okay to do that to God? I'll be faithful to God as long as, only on certain issues. <laughs> but once you start putting a finger on the part that I don't like, <laughs> I'm not perfect. Is that okay? No. Faithfulness is faithfulness. Not perfection. And it's time for us to be serious 
about being faithful. It's time for us to quit pretending. Could God one day say of you, they were faithful? Could God say that of you? I pray over everything else in my life that when my life here on earth is through, that people don't look back and say, well, he knew how to talk. <laughs> well, he knew how to do this, that, or the other. Well, he, was a, he was a good guy. He, was, he, was a, he tried. He tried. God loved his heart. He tried. In the South, you know, we say, God bless you. You know what, God bless you. If you ever have a Southerner say, God bless you. You know what they're saying? Well, you just about three fries short of a happy meal, ain't you? God bless you. Oh, God bless your heart. <laughs> I don't want that to be said of me. I want to, I want to be known as faithful. I want my kids to remember a faithful daddy. I want my wife to remember faithfulness. You want to know why I get so upset? Think for just a minute. I'm not delivering just... This is never a pointing thing. Please understand. I know I sound passionate and I sound... Well, I'm not just sound. I am passionate. I know. I know that's way up here at the surface. My passion bubble is way up. I understand that. I know I'm hyperactive. I know that. But you want to know why? Because I get so upset at me. And I want something better for you. I know the failures that I have. I know the mistakes that I have made. And I don't want my children, my little children in the faith. I don't want them to go through the mistakes and the failures that I've gone through. I don't want them to experience the nights of agony. I don't want them to have to fall on their knees because they feel like such a failure before a thrice holy God. I don't want my children to do this. I want them to be more faithful than me. I get so mad at myself because of all that can be said of me in the end. I want it to be he was faithful. Moses was faithful in God's house. However, Moses was just one stone in the house. Jesus, he's better because he built the house. He built it. I want you to notice verse 6 with me before we go any further. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Let let me explain this word that you see there in verse number 6 because we need to pay attention to verse 6 before we end up with some improper doctrine. Verse 6 uses that two-letter word, if, right smack dab in the middle. Paul uses if statements quite often in his, uh, in his epistles, in his writings. These if statements aren't giving as much of a condition as an argument for logic. And so this word that is 
if in here can be saying, oh, you know, if it walks like a duck, if it smells like a duck, if it's got feathers like a duck, it's a couple people still awake. Let me see if I can wake the rest of you up. <laughs> this is what it, if. If this, then this must be true. And so when we see this passage here, Paul using this if statement as an argue for logical outcomes, look at it this way. Maybe it can be rendered to you uh, so we don't make any grammatical mistakes because some people will take this if and they will make salvation then conditional. That you're only saved and, or you only remain saved if. That's not what's being said. Perhaps we could even state it this way. Um, since, since you do this, this must be true. Since we hold this, or because, or maybe if we said this, if it be true that, you see, now we understand the if statement. We are the house of God if it is true that we hold. Okay? So as we look here at verse number 6, we need to understand what is being said. Compare that now with 1 John. Flip over just a few books. We're here in Hebrews. Work your way closer to the back. You'll find 1 John. If you're not careful, you'll skip over it. 1 John. Chapter number 2. Notice what it says here in verse number... Look at verse number 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us... But they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Here's what the Apostle John is trying to get us to understand. You see how the writer of Hebrews let us know if we hold fast, this is, then, then we are the house of God. What the Apostle John is trying to get us to understand, some of the people had left, had walked away from the faith. And you had people wondering, well, what in the world? How can they do this? And the Apostle John is saying, hey, they went out from us because they were not of us. But those who remained, they're the ones who are truly of us. The others left proving they're not of us. Now, I want you to notice that because it's going to springboard all of us into this next point, and this is where we're going to start to make a beeline for the gospel. Back in Hebrews chapter number 3. Look with me at verse number 7, if you would, please. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, 
uh, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. I want you to note the danger of faithlessness. Can I, can I point something out to you? Sadly, well, I'm going to point it out whether you say yes or not. Sadly, many feel that they can choose when and when not they're going to obey God's Word. And they feel that they are going to have this opportunity to just, when, when they want to, kind of turn on the sensitivity. Can I let you know that that's not the truth? Dear ones, please do not fall into this trap. Whenever God's Word is presented, you and I have a responsibility to obey it. No questions asked. We do not choose when we say yes to God, but we do condition ourselves to saying no to Him very easily. Let, let, let me illustrate this principle. Perhaps you're happy with when the preaching or somebody is sharing the gospel with you and it's all about how you can go to heaven. But the moment someone says anything about adultery, you stop your ears and you don't want to listen anymore. You're good if somebody wants to have those deep theological discussions uh, about you know, transubstantiation and hypostatic, you know. Let's talk about that. But as soon as somebody starts talking about Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husband, you do this. I'm, I'm good with all the beatitudes and everything, but the moment someone says forgive, as your Father in heaven forgives, we do this. And here's what we do. We defend ourselves by saying, but you don't understand my circumstances, Pastor. And our friend comes to us. This could be in the church setting. This could be in our personal devotion life. This could be in the workplace. This could be uh, just a conversation between you and your spouse. This could be a conversation with you and your children. This can be a conversation with just friends. And what we do is we hear the word of God revealed to us about something that needs to change in our life. And we go, uh-uh, you don't understand. I have extenuating circumstances. I don't have to do that one, preacher. I don't have to do that one, mom. Uh-uh, I don't have to do that. Listen to me. You're circumstances are not special when God says do it just do it and you want to know what when we say no to him we begin to harden our hearts and when I say no again it gets harder and then I say no again and it gets harder and it gets easier for me to live a faithless life I'll preach you don't understand you don't understand no, you don't have faith in him. <laughs> when Paul wrote Ephesians 5, he wasn't thinking about my husband. 
When Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 5, he didn't have my wife in mind. No, but he compared it to Christ and the church. And so he had the perfect husband with an unfaithful wife in mind. And so you and I do not have extenuating circumstances when it comes to obeying His Word. You want to know if your heart's hard this morning? What are you quick to ignore when the Word of God is presented to you? You see, none of us are perfect. I understand that. So guess what? We all have something to work on. I ain't perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect this morning. Anyway, no takers? So you got something to work on too. Praise God. Humility has just set into Liberty Bible Church. Mm, love it. But guess what? Every single one of us have calls to hit our knees this morning. Every single one of us have a reason to call out to God and say, soften my hard heart in this area. I've been saying no way too long. You see, the reason that so many in the church today are dead and lifeless is because so many wait to obey Him. I, I'll do that later. I know God's Word says that I'm supposed to live this way, supposed to live that way, not supposed to do this, not supposed to do that. I know God's Word says that I'm supposed to act. I know God's Word wants me to be more like Him, but I'll do that later. Look at the last verse we read this morning. Verse 11, please. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. We're going to be looking at this more down the road. So put a pen in that. But let me just give you this real quickly. You look at the exodus and the deliverance from captivity of God's people, and they're walking, they're making their way through the desert, and then they end up entering into the promised land. And that is a parallel to the Christian life. Many people try to draw that parallel to the Christian life. But here's where sometimes I believe people mistaken some things. They compare the promised land to heaven. Beloved, they still had problems in the promised land. I don't believe that when they crossed the Jordan and entered into the promised land that they made it. That, I don't think that that was a picture of them getting to heaven. I believe that they entered into the sanctified life. And what it is, is they were delivered. And then they had this time where they had to face all of that desert experience and see the proof that God is who He claimed to be. They tested, they tried Him, and He proved Himself faithful to them. And then they finally, those who believed, entered into that sanctified life where now they can walk by faith and no matter how difficult the circumstance is before me, I can rest 
because I am in His hand and I'm following His way, doing it His way. You know why so many people don't have rest today? Because they're still living for themselves. But I'm a Christian, but you're still living for yourself. Come downstairs and ain't no coffee in the pot. What's that fool doing? Living for yourself. Sir. We need to wake up. I want to point this out to you and we'll be done. The word that is given for faithful is the Greek word pistos. This word is the same word for believing. So what is the antonym for faithful? Look at verse 12. This is where we're going to get in next week. Oh, this is good stuff. Look at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Mm-mm. Those who are faithful believe Him. Those who aren't don't believe Him. If He says... He is always with me, will never leave me, never forsake me. If he says that his fruit is love, guess what? I believe I can love the unlovable. If his word tells me that the fruit of the Spirit is joy, guess what? No matter my circumstances, I can still find joy. If his word says that the fruit of the Spirit is peace, guess what? No matter what turmoil is in my life, I can find rest. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temper. Guess what? If his word says to forgive, I believe he will empower me to do so. When I don't believe him, I will be faithless. Not faithful. Can I ask you this morning... Are you truly experiencing becoming more and more like Christ? In order to do so, you need to start practicing saying yes. Yes, Lord. I know that's going to be hard. I know what you've got in front of me is going to be difficult, but yes, Lord, I'll do it. So you're saying, if I have a problem with my brother, instead of going to all my friends and telling them about it, I'm supposed to go to them. That's going to be hard, Lord. But I believe you. I'm going to do it. Beloved, what do you believe this morning? Going back to the question that I started everything with, how do I know if my heart has become hardened? Ask yourself what you believe. And ask yourself what you don't believe. Do you believe in the saving power of Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord. Do you believe in the changing power? 
Do you believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Praise the Lord. Do you believe in the fruit? To all of us impatient ones, guess what? One of the fruits is patience. Guess you didn't get that one that day, huh? Do you believe in the God who wants to make you more like him? Do you believe it's possible? Let me just leave you with this. A way to check your heart. And we'll be done. Is there something you keep saying no to God about? Is there something that you keep saying no about? Think about it. Is there something in your life that you keep saying, mm-mm, not going not gonna to address that one. I don't even want to think about that one today. Uh-uh, 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 mm Don't even. That one that you're saying no to is evidence of the hard heart. If you don't want to have a hard heart, it's time to give that one over. Are you quick to, that's a bad spelling, excuse yourself? Are you quick to excuse yourself? Well, Pastor, I, <laughs> I would deal with that one. But you've got to understand, that's a hard heart. That's a hard heart. Third, let me just ask you this. Is there enough evidence if people looked at your life, yours, not your wife's, not your spouse's, not your church's, not your family's, yours and yours alone. Is there enough evidence for people to say, house of God, the Holy Spirit dwells there. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in that. Is there enough evidence that you are the house of God? Church, it's time for us to confess our hard hearts. It's time for us to get real. Don't wait on the person next to you to do it. You do it. Get on your knees before thrice holy God. Confess. Forsake. And from this day forward, commit to a faithful walk with Him. Father, thank You, Lord, for the way You allow me to have a relationship with You. Father, You're so wonderful and so gracious. Father, many times I am not as faithful as I ought to be. Father, I don't want to excuse myself. I don't want to try to come up with a, with a reason, extenuating circumstance. Father, I just want to be real with you. So forgive me, Lord, for my lack of belief. And help me to be more faithful. Father, for the heart here today that has been hardened towards something that you want them to change. Help them to realize that it's a fearful thing to not heed the warnings of Scripture. Father, 
soften that hardness that is in their heart. That they would be driven to their knees before you. The God who can change. Who can help them in any circumstance, any situation. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.